This is a preview edition of the Storymakers Institute. Become a paid subscriber to access the full episode. Just visit thestorymakersinstitute.substack.com forward slash subscribe. This is the Storymakers Institute with Joel Carnegie. This is your front row pass to the world's most intriguing storytellers. And this week on the show, say hello to investigative humorist Dan Illick, who spends his time wading through the big meaty topics of our time to serve them up on his podcast, Irrational Fear, which has just clocked over one million downloads. We're going to take a temperature check on the year ahead. And Dan floors me on what he's just seen on X. Lingering in my thoughts this week is... The AI-generated quote that I shared on Substack last week, which goes a little something like this. Each day is another day to be dreadfully dysfunctional. Delivered with a level of enthusiasm that I think only a robot can muster. Have you taken to AI to deliver your dose of daily inspiration these days? No, uh, but I assume everything I'm reading on the internet these days is generated by AI. So, you know, (laughs) who knows? Like... Even this podcast software, which we were talking about off air, um, I have used in the past to actually create the show notes for my podcast. So I'm like, well, if someone's reading this, that's generated by AI. In fact, we are just AI. I mean, like, who's to say? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel like I am AI. Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> uh, there's been too much input today through all of my devices. I'm only, a, I'm only a mix of what I've just consumed and I can't remember any of it. My mind was blown uh late last week when a friend of mine sort of sent me a podcast episode of a content creator who kind of creates those viral videos and and was the podcast was settled around this idea of in fact like a lot of those really shocking videos that you see in the world that you think are real are actually not and are completely set up so now i have no idea whether to believe a, a real snake drops on the on a, on a picnicking family in the park or whether someone gets their face slammed into a tram. I mean, I just yeah. don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah. As a Reddit connoisseur, uh, the first thing I do when I see a great video is go to the comments. <laughs> like, please help me understand. I. But then again, the comments could be AI too. But I assume the comments <laughs> are all people calling out the bullshit of AI. That's what, I, that's what I'm there for. I'm like, that looks like AI. What do the comments say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, well, Dan, you've, I mean, you spend your, your life wading through uh, some shit, some morbid stuff, uh, to find the light and shade as, as you tend to do. How are you traveling at the moment? Good. Yeah, good. Everything's pretty good. I've got lots of fun projects in the go and um, at Irrational Fear, we just celebrated a million downloads, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it was something. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure if, um, if, Lewis Hobber or I were on maths, we would have had a million downloads years ago. But um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We, you know, we started this podcast, uh, you know, a long time ago, but it's so cool to kind of grow it to, you know, have such great numbers and such a great community that will come out to a live show and see it. Yeah. And I don't think you know this, but actually Lewis and I went to school together. Really? Well, that means you would have also gone to school with my dear friend, Veronica Milson. Veronica Milson, yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, the reunion. I love it. In fact, I've got a... Funny that says a lot about, about you. And now I'm um, completely reading you. Uh, I'm completely mapping everything I know about uh, your school <laughs> upon you. So, Oh, um, no. Oh, please, no. Yeah, yeah. I know I left that world a very long time ago, though I do have a funny story about Veronica Milson. So for those who don't, don't know, uh, Veronica, very funny person, uh, long-time ABC presenter and, you know, doer of many interesting and creative things. Um, we performed together in a show 
called Once Upon a Mattress, which originally starred Sarah Jessica Parker. But I think in the context of this show that we were doing, we were doing a school production of Once Upon a Mattress, which was a show about uh, a princess who discovered a pea. You know, it's the Princess and the Pea story, classic. And I remember uh, Veronica um, dressing up as the princess and getting on stage and we, we did the thing together and all the dancing and all the singing. And, uh, and I was the jester who fell down the stairs. That was my... That was my claim to fame. I don't think I've really ever um, achieved the heights of that success um, since then, but <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, well, the podcast, Rational Fear, you know, clocked up 1 million votes of confidence. How, yeah. do you, how do you balance the rational bit and the fear bit in this moment in history? Uh, basically, if something makes us feel weird or uncomfortable or um, uh, gives us any kind of anxiety in the world, we talk about it on the show. So that's kind of the that's kind of the game of the show. The game of the show is that the media makes us scared of things. Um, often they're making us scared of the wrong things. Uh, so a fear by itself is irrational. So we like to do the rational fear, uh, which ostensibly when we planted that flag in the ground, we were talking about climate change. So, you know, back in 2012, no one was talking about climate change in the media. Um, so that's where the name came from. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people our age were um, back then. So we were like, well, you know, how come no one is like mainstream media is kind of missing this story? Let's start a place where we can hold a space for it. So we dressed it up like a comedy show uh, and then held a space to talk about climate for at least once an episode for a few minutes. And so that was the, that's the game of the show. Mm-hmm. I love dressing things up as comedy. It means you can serve it in a way that people are unsuspecting that you're actually talking about something quite serious and yet whack. Yeah, well, that's what we hope. That's uh, that's hope. That's the theory of change. The theory of change is that we can pack, we can pack a whole show filled with what we like to call kind of fact bombs, where we take a fact uh, and a joke and put it together and explodes in people's minds. So um, puts people in at ease in a way that they might be able to think about something differently or or consume their media in a in a more uh, friendly way. So it's not boring. It's interesting. It's funny. It can make people have an emotional reaction to something in a positive way or, or a negative way, um, but feel something or consume a message in a way that um, is easy to consume. So that's, uh, that's kind of the theory of change there. Uh, that's the kind of what I've staked my career on for the last 20 years. And uh, you're doing yeah. all right in it. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Having a good time. People call me brilliant on Twitter. Uh, they've got a lot of numbers in their usernames, but you know, whatever, you know, I'll take it. You didn't buy that at all. Like you didn't, you didn't sort of put your credit card in and go like, please give me the love and the bots yeah, came exactly. through. <laughs> I don't think you do that. I, I don't think you do that on Twitter. Though, you know, I've been reading a lot of, speaking about AI before, I've been reading a lot about how Twitter bots are commenting on other Twitter bots on Twitter. Uh, and there are these insane conversations that are happening from machine language kind of robots just with each other. And they've all, and I, and I, let me stress this, speaking of paying for things, they've all got blue check marks. Like, so it's like. Who's paying? I, well, somebody who's, who's got armies of Twitter bots, they're all interacting with each other. So now let's just put that insane thing aside. People are paying for blue check marks so that their, their Twitter bots can be more engaged, but they just end up talking to all these other Twitter bots. Now, put that aside. What this is doing in terms of electricity and service base and carbon emissions, that's crazy. Just stop it. Just like no more Twitter bots talking to other Twitter bots. We don't need that. 
We're burning enough of the world's resources talking to ourselves about maths or whatever. That's just like that's just like a, a, a an online equivalent of just sitting in the car with the engine on and just that, is, that for hours. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> oh god. Well, I mean, this 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 is an absolutely area where we have to get our shit together. Obviously, climate change, its effects, it's uh, it's it's here right now. But yet, it's also weirdly beyond human comprehension. Um, if you were to take a temperature check of the room right now where do you think the world is at do, are we are we still head in the sand are we feeling the paralysis or are we somewhere else along this merry spectrum i think there's a huge amount of will to move quickly and uh and swiftly to taking more climate action and where that will stops is at our leaders who are effectively governed by their donations, their donors. So you've kind of got this place where you know fossil fuel interests are kind of holding our state captive to doing massive changes very quickly on climate. There are some big bright spots. So the IRA, the um, the in, the I, the big Environmental Act out of America, spending half a trillion dollars on uh, on on infrastructure and um, new energy. Um, renewables and uh, making houses more efficient and putting batteries in and all this all this all this huge gamut of stuff that is a huge shining light and that has had knock-on effect across across many democracies um, in Australia you see kind of similar uh, nods to the IRA where where you know fuel emission standards are finally kind of in cars and uh, there's kind of new infrastructure for renewable energy zones and stuff like that so that's kind of exciting to kind of see that gigantic, huge leadership tent pole thing echo around the world. And even at the recent COP, you know, the Conference of Parties, the big climate change talk fest that happened in Dubai, let, let's, you know, leave the fact that 100,000 people went to Dubai to talk about climate change. Forget that. And, um, and, the, and the, uh, the, the bloody planes that were uh, flying around with um, coloured shit coming out the back of them, but putting yeah, that forget, aside. Forget that. Put, put all that aside. Um, but it... There was kind of huge policy changes at the start of that conference that um, that signaled a shift in thinking from the globe. So these things are take monumental time to kind of shift incrementally. Like so, the, at the start of COP, a huge um, reconstruction and mitigation fund got released, uh, and everyone's going to chip in for that. Now the numbers of that <laughs> are quite. You know, small, but that will grow. That will what what they call ratchet up to kind of um, end up paying a lot more. So, countries are currently on the hook for uh, half a billion dollars <laughs> to kind of pay for. Uh, rich countries are kind of on the hook for half a billion dollars to kind of pay for the reconstruction and mitigation of climate effects for smaller, um, more climate vulnerable countries. So that is a tiny amount of money, but that, that's going to that's gonna change quickly over the next 10 years. So the fact that it's kind of written down now and all the countries have agreed to it, that's exciting. That's super, super cool. And yet that's a sort of a drop in the ocean compared to the 2.8 US trillion dollars that uh, that has currently been spent, I suppose, on the current weather events and the impacts of, of, of weather events and that's probably going to expand oh sh sure yeah yeah like that, that's 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 i mean it's globally dealing with climate is such an expensive thing and you know this is something that fossil fuel companies have known for 50 or 60 years now time. so it's kind of a, yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a strange predicament we're in so what 
what I think people have the power to do in our country is kind of hold our leaders to task on many of those things. And I think that's what's exciting about um, the climate independence that are kind of in our country at the moment, um, Labor being kind of wedged on a bunch of climate stuff by them, but also the Greens as well, which is exciting, um, and seeing very small minute changes in policy in Australia is very positive. Um, and at least we don't have leaders out there saying that electric cars are going to ruin the weekend for the moment. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I think what's interesting where I come from is that, well, this is a huge task, but we've all got to show leadership, um, on it, um, because it's, it's just existentially important. <laughs> you know, I often think that perhaps people just get really overwhelmed by big numbers and scary things. And, and perhaps there's a kind of been a translation issue in terms of being able to make movement on this or are just the forces at play too big for story makers, storytellers, people um, communicating all this stuff in whatever form they're communicating in it, that there's, there's too much of a, a, a one way, a one sided affair going on here. Well, I think you've got to think about people's media diets, right, and where they're getting their information from. So uh, to say storytellers have failed in communicating climate change, I think that's a big ask because look who, the, look who gets to tell the story. Look out who is the storyteller of note in any kind of ecosystem of media. So when you're looking at mainstream media, you're looking at storytellers that are, in terms of you know the Murdoch press, uh, beholden to their fossil fuel interests. The Murdoch press was funded by fossil fuel interests and the IPA. So you kind of you you're kind of looking at storytellers that are beholden to huge mining and fossil fuel interests, which is you know crazy in this country. In this country, to We've got a mainstream press, which is beholden to fossil fuel interests. You've got Channel 7 and 7 West Media, which is fossil fuel interests. Um, you know, Kerry Stokes runs a huge fossil fuel energy and mining operation. Uh, so they are immediately going to be against any kind of uh, climate action. And then you've got Nine, which are run by German bankers, which, you know, is fine. Uh, <laughs> no, but still, they kind of tow a weird neocon line when it comes to um when it comes to environmental stuff and then well, just because everyone else is doing it yeah and then and then 10 is is owned by an american company so you we, an american media company and then honestly 10 is kind of it's interesting kind of seeing how uh people perceive 10 to be progressive but when you kind of look at it they're just owned by these this american media company and they're just kind of reporting of what's happening so it's kind of this weird ecosystem and then you've kind of got uh the public broadcaster and the public broadcaster is so problematic because you need to require through editorial standards balance for any kind of topic so if you want to talk about uh, not going to talk about minutiae here but large kind of big ideas if you want to talk about a big idea on one side you're gonna to have to have somebody talking about you know the science of climate action or the science of climate crisis and then on the other side you're going to need to have you 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 are required by law to have a balance so somebody who uh is lying so it's this <laughs> it's this weird thing right so um uh, and then you have people who are trying to tell the story and trying to cut through mainstream media people like, like myself who are using comedy and other tactics to kind of tell the story differently in a way that might reach people outside of those mainstream channels. And I think that's interesting. I've gone a long way 
and a long journey um, learning about uh, this stuff, uh, reading, consuming, um, going to conferences, trying to understand uh, this from the macro to the micro uh, in, in a way that I can then retell the story myself or repackage the story myself in a meaningful way. So um, it's kind of interesting when you see, when you think about the media diet and who is privileged enough to be able to tell those stories and why you're hearing that story packaged in that way. So, yeah, take that, Joel, on your podcast <laughs> funded by, I don't know who it's funded by. It's the funded Substack by readers, big Substack readers. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Substack. Community, community powered podcast. Yeah. That's what this is all about. So it's like, it's, I mean, it's kind of, kind of got to think just like thinking about like the big the 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 big powerful forces in media and 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 big big kind of storytellers like thinking about why am i hearing this who's funding it why what is their point of view like understanding the media literacy on on that is is really important but not many people do if you're if you've got three kids and you've got a job and you've got your pressures of your life you're not going to stop to think about why the daily telegraph um uh has is writing is allowing op-eds from andrew bolt to say that renewables are a waste of time like you're not you're not gonna stop to think about that you're just gonna go oh andrew bolt that's a name i recognize because his his name is bigger than anybody else's name in the paper and he's a journalist and he must be important because he's in the paper <laughs> he must know things yes and if you right. take andrew bolt's like andrew bolt's a good example if you take andrew bolt's uh oeuvre uh i discovered a paper clipping when i cleaned up my parents house last, last year or two years ago it was an andrew bolt article arguing something insane that has been wrong for decades and i was like well Fuck, Andrew Bolt has been wrong for so long. Like, look, sometimes you got to just dust these things off and give it another spin. Oh my god! Like, it's so incredible. It was a slow, it was a slow week. Give him, give him some, give him a break. Like, it's totally bizarre. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, you just have to think about that. Like, yeah, of course. So two things: one, structures. The second thing: follow the money, honey. Follow the money, structures. And like, well, yeah, there are invested interests in in every storytelling. My invested interest is livable planet systems. That's kind of my invested interest. Um, I think that's a bit much. I think yeah, that's, I know. That's I know. A, I'm, I'm in the pocket much. of I'm in the pocket of big oxygen. <laughs> I love it. As we farewell some of our uh, listeners right now, jump on a Substack if you want to continue on with this conversation. Oh, it's going to get better. You went away. That's it for this preview edition of the Storymakers Institute. Become a paid subscriber to access the full episode. Just visit the storymakersinstitute.substack.com forward slash subscribe. And show us the love by leaving a review for the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tell your mates about the show. We'd be most grateful. I'll catch you next week.